Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you with us today. It's week nine of our Jesus series, and today we're specifically going to be talking about the topic of meekness. But before we get going, I just want to highlight the fact that I am an absolute sucker for awkward moments. I mean, I, I, I love them. I, I don't love to experience them. I, I love watching other people experience them. I mean, come on, if we're honest, we're all the same kind of way. I mean, you know, when you walk down the street and somebody's waving, and so you give them a wave only to realize that they're actually waving at somebody behind you. Those are awkward, but they're so awesome to watch. Or like when you show up to work and you got a brand new shirt and you're feeling good, you're feeling great, you're feeling snazzy, you own the world and somebody taps you on the shoulder and pulls the tag off the back of your shirt and passes it to you. Awkward, but awesome. Oh man. Or, or I've been on a date one time with Shandy and uh, here we are, we're on this date, we're out to the movies. I pull the old fashioned, <sighs> arm around the girl. I'm feeling it. She's feeling it. Everything's going great until all of a sudden my eyes start getting heavy. My head tilts back. I fall asleep on my date and only wake up to this sound and wake up to my own snore. Awkward, killing the vibe, but, but, but still kind of an awesome moment. Or, or you're creeping somebody on Instagram and uh, accidentally like their post. That's the worst. Or, or, or this one literally happened to me just the other day here at the church. I finished talking to Shandy on the phone. Shandy's my wife. And uh, hang up the phone, make another phone call just afterwards, finish that phone call and end the conversation with, yep, talk to you later. Love you, babe. Bye. Hung up the phone. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I just said I love you to a stranger. What's wrong with me? Those moments are awkward, but they're awesome. They're awful. And they're so great. So great when they happen to somebody else. Can I get an amen? Right? And I love awkward moments like that because they enable us to, well, first of all, they, they remind us of how human we are. They're, 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 they're humbling, aren't they? But they also give us an opportunity to, to learn, especially when the awkward moment happens at someone else's expense. And that's what I like about this particular text here in Mark chapter 9. And in my Bible, it's titled, The Greatest in the Kingdom. And really, it should be titled, One of the Most Awkward Moments in the Bible. Because right here, we get the opportunity to kind of see this kind of beautiful yet brutal interaction between God and his disciples, between Jesus and his followers. And, and I, and I want to read this for you, and I want to glean from this with you, because the words in the text here, like what happens here, is so relatable, it's uncomfortable. Okay, so let's look at this together. Mark chapter 9, verse 33 says these words. It says, After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? And I love this question because you know it's Jesus and you know he already has the answer. It reminds me back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, when, when Adam and Eve had, 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 had eaten the, the, the forbidden fruit and they realized that they were naked 
and they felt shame and they heard God coming. So, so they ran and hid behind a bush and God steps out into this scenario, into this scene. And he says the most beautiful question. He says, where are you? And it's a beautiful question because he already knows the answer. It's rhetorical and beautiful and says so much. I, lo I love questions like these because they're, they're, they're just, it's just such a parent move, isn't it? We have, we have four kids in our house, and uh, when, when we're getting ready for school and I notice that one of them doesn't have a backpack, kind of like my, my go-to question isn't, kid, fool, why don't you have a backpack? Go get it, you moron. That's not what we're doing. It's, Anderson, did you remember your backpack today? Or, or when, you're, when you're lying your children down to sleep and you just had some milk and cookies, and you're, and you're tucking them in, give them a little kiss on the forehead. And all of a sudden you get this big sniff, this big waft of Oreo cookie. And you look at them as they smile and they got chocolate all in their teeth. And you said, honey, did you, did you brush your teeth? You see, these are, these are questions. You, you, you already know the answer, but you're, but you're asking the question in a way that creates an opportunity to learn. And this takes place in this particular passage. And what I love about this particular question is that it reminds us of a very important truth. It reminds us that Jesus sees us when we think that he doesn't. And this is both super comforting and uncomfortable all at the same time, depending on kind of where you are at in that particular day. But Jesus sees you when you, th you think that he doesn't. And that's so important for you to understand, especially in seasons like this. God sees you. He hears you. He's with you. He's accessible and he's there. But the story continues. And this is where it gets so great. So here, here Jesus asks his disciples, hey, 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 guys, uh, just quick question here. Uh, what were you discussing out on the road there? And their response here in verse 34, their response wasn't even a response. It says, they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Awkward! So awkward. You can just picture this moment as soon as Jesus pipes in. Hey, hey guys, uh, what was it that you were talking about? Oh my goodness. Do you think he heard what we were saying? I thought he was way further ahead on the path. Are you serious? What are we going to do? Do you, you think he actually heard me say that, that I'm the greatest? Oh, I really, 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 really hope he didn't hear me say what I thought I said or what he thinks I said. You can just picture the, the emotion in that moment. Because we got to remember, the disciples are real people, just like you and me, right? And so they respond the same. They just got caught with their head in the cookie jar. And they're trying to figure out, oh no, what do we do next? And here's the truth we need to understand. That when we mess up, it's completely natural to want to avoid God. Their response is completely human. I mean, picture that moment. 
empathize with him just for a second. Here they are. They're walking with Jesus. They think Jesus is ahead. They're having a conversation in and of, of themselves, by themselves. They think they're, they're fine. They don't think Jesus cares. But Jesus hears everything. <laughs> oh, man, the worst. The worst. It's like sending somebody an email when you don't actually mean to send it to them. And it goes to them. And they're thinking, oh man, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I, I'm not going towards Jesus. No way I'm going to avoid him with everything. And that's, that's what we do when we sin, isn't it? It's what we do when we mess up. We, we, we assume that, that God's not going to want anything to do with us or, or God's going to be so angry at us or God's going to punish us or God's going to be mad. And, and, and so we, we, we try to distance ourselves, to separate ourselves, to try and pretend that it didn't happen so that we can quickly figure out a way to kind of get through what just went down. But I love Jesus's response. And this is why this portion of scripture is so appealing to me. It's not that Jesus heard them say what they said. This portion of scripture is appealing to me because of how Jesus handled this particular scenario. He hears the disciples talking, arguing who's the greatest. He says, guys, what are you talking about? Can you come here? Can you come to me? He says, what were you discussing on the road? They don't answer because they had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Then in verse 35, it says, he sat down. And then he called the 12 disciples over to him. And that little act is so significant. Because it's so contrary to the way we assume God functions. When we mess up, we, it's natural to want to avoid God. But listen, when we mess up, Jesus invites us to himself. When we mess up, Jesus invites us into relationship. And that whole concept is absolutely absurd. And so beautiful. I mean, when I read this or when I read this for the first time, I remember reading this when I first became a Christian almost 20 years ago. And I remember reading about this particular portion of scripture. I remember thinking about how, how awkward, how painful, how, how, how not awesome it would have felt to have Jesus call me out like that. And so, so here's Jesus. He has every opportunity, every reason to call them out and play the upper hand. To, to, to embarrass his disciples, to make a, a, a moment with his disciples, to punish them, to throw some sort of consequence. He could do that, but he doesn't. He doesn't scold his disciples. Instead, he takes this opportunity to teach them a new way. And that's the same way God functions with you. When you mess up, God's not standing back waiting to punish you. He's, he's inviting you to himself right now. He's inviting you into relationship. Not to punish you, 
but to teach you a new paradigm, a a new way of thinking, to to, to realign the way you process life. And this is what we we visualize in this, in this, this story. This is the painting that's being painted for us. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him. Then it says this, it says, Jesus is speaking. And Jesus says these words. Guys, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. He doesn't rip into them. He doesn't throw consequences. He pops their bubble. It's as if he's saying, guys, listen, there is actually no room for ego in the kingdom of God. You need to to get this straight. You need to get this into your heart. Friends, it's not how this functions. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. This race that you're trying to win, this race that you're trying to be the best at, friends, This race doesn't exist. It's not about who's the greatest. It's not about being first. It's as if Jesus is saying, stop trying to win. The human race isn't an actual race. Give up. Life is not a competition. It's not about you getting first. It's not about competing against others. In fact, he goes as far to say, it's better that you're last. As if, drop out and start taking care of people. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. What Jesus does here is Jesus provides direction in our broken world. He, he, he provides direction for, for Christian leaders in today's modern context. He's saying, you want, you want to be great? You want your life to have value? You want to make a difference? You want to make an impact? It's not a competition, brother. It's not a competition. It's not how this works. Verse 36, it says, then he put a little child among them. And I can just picture this, this conversation taking place and Jesus is sitting there and he's got his disciples around and his mom and her kids are walking by. And Jesus just pipes out, hey, 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 come here, come here. Son, come here. And he grabs this little boy and he holds him in his arms. And he's saying, you see, you see, friends, you see what I'm doing here? He grabs this little child. He picks him up. It says, taking the child in his arms, he says to his disciples, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. 
boys, this isn't, this isn't about a competition here. I love how, how Matthew says it. I don't have it on the screen, but, but it's in my Bible. And if you have a Bible, it's Matthew chapter 18, verse uh, 3 to 5. And this is how uh, Matthew describes this same kind of story, the same interaction. This is Matthew's interpretation of what Jesus said. And this is how Matthew quotes Jesus. It says, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children. And again, imagine him just holding a child and talking to his disciples in this moment. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who becomes as humble as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to know great? Let me show you great. You get this beautiful like, ah, moment. And anyone who becomes or anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. There's a commentator who, who wrote on this subject. And he wrote these words. He said, To squelch the disciples' hankering for worldly greatness, Jesus uses a child as an illustration of kingdom greatness. No romanticized notion of children existed in the first century. Children had no power, status, or rights. They were not considered full persons or were regarded as somewhat of akin to property. They were dependent, vulnerable, unlearned, entirely subject to the authority of the Father. And this is why this, this analogy is so important. Says, Nowhere else in this period do we find children as, uh, appealed to as examples to be imitated. This is what, what separates Jesus' kingdom theology from the way the world functions. Jesus holding a child and looking out to his disciples and telling them about leadership. And he says, let me explain meekness to you. Let me show you what power really looks like. You want to be great? Watch this. To become as a child. To become as a child basically means to recognize one's insignificance. What evokes repentance is the realization that one is as small and slight as a child before God. You want to be heroes. You need to be like one of these kids. Kingdom greatness in the kingdom of God is not found in your leadership skills. You need to hear me today. It's not found in your Christian skills. It doesn't matter. Not found in your pedigree, your background, or your expertise. Kingdom greatness is found in meekness. It is found in one's ability to stop racing and start helping others. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And we get this picture. We get this timely and poignant picture of Jesus holding this child. 
And as we pause today just for a moment and recognize what's going on in our society, and we think about the fact that just recently, 215 young bodies were discovered, young indigenous children. Their bodies discovered in that Kamloops residential school and this unmarked burial plots. How, how do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of it? Today, I stand here wearing orange to stand in solidarity with those who are impacted by the harsh realities of this residential school system. And here I stand as, as a white Christian settler in one hand. And on the other hand, I'm married to an indigenous woman and I'm raising indigenous children and we live on stolen indigenous land. And the inequity between the way we both see world, the world, the way we both experience this world isn't fair. I recognize that I, I, I see pain. We all see pain. We're seeing the pain right now. But because of my, my privilege, I, 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 I have no idea what it feels like to be an Indigenous person. And to all of our Indigenous brothers and sisters who call, call GT home, we see you. And to all of our Indigenous brothers and sisters who live all across this, this nation of ours, we, we, we see you. And I'm reminded of the scriptures as it says, we weep with those who weep, we mourn with those who mourn. And it's my hope, my desire, that this church can be seen as a safe place, a welcoming place. It's ironic when it comes to the subject of meekness, because meekness, in many ways, is the redistribution of privilege. I mean, just, just, just think of Jesus for one moment. Jesus literally lived in heaven. Jesus was all-powerful. Nothing Jesus couldn't do. He had everything. Anything he wanted, he could just create it. Jesus held all the cards, all the power, had all the privilege. And what does Jesus do? He models meekness. He uses his power to empower others. And this is the perfect picture of meekness. And this is the perfect picture of what church should look like. I, I, I don't know your story. I know that I, I personally didn't grow up going to church. 
But I know that when I, for the first time, found out who Jesus actually was, learned about his character, learned about his nature, learned about this freedom-fighting, life-changing, freedom-bringing miracle worker, when I learned about him, everything changed. And yes, as I explained earlier, yes, Jesus sees you when he thinks he doesn't. And when, when we mess up, it's natural to want to avoid God. And when we mess up, plot twist, Jesus actually invites you into relationship with him. And so I invite you, if you're looking for a personal relationship with Jesus, if you're trying to figure out life right now, this world right now, the complexities of what it means to be living in 2021 as a Christ follower or as a human being for that matter. <laughs> Jesus wants to lead you. You can text LIFE to the number that's on your screen and, and, and somebody will reach out. Don't just watch right now. This moment is specific for you. What if, what if, what if, what if God set it up for you to be watching me in this moment today? If you're watching on a Sunday morning and it's church online for you, uh, there's, a, there's a button on the side of your screen where you can raise a hand. And someone would love to pray with you. Someone would love to walk with you. You click that button and we'll connect with you. Because life isn't meant to be walked out alone. We're meant to walk together. Can I pray for you? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, Father God, as I pray right now, I'm reminded of your scripture in Mark chapter five, 9, verse 35, as you say, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone. Father, forgive us for trying to win Father, there's no such thing as a race, human race. We're not in competition with one another. Father, help us to see people the way you see people. Father, help us to be light in dark places. Help us to be hope where there is hopelessness. Help us to be a shoulder to cry on when people are mourning and hurting. Help us to be a listening ear. Help us to have eyes to see people the way you see people. Because Jesus, we're not in competition. We're here together as brothers and sisters. So Father, show us what it means to walk in meekness. And show us what it means to be a Christian in 2021 right here, right now. In your name we pray, amen.